One of my first musical memories um, is of a Simon and Garfunkel writer, a compilation called the Simon and Garfunkel Collection, 17 of their all-time greatest recordings. The cover image was a sunset on a beach with Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel strolling along the war's edge, Paul Simon carrying his guitar over his shoulder. And we played that record over and over. I'm not sure if it belonged to my dad or my brother, I can't quite remember, but I, and I, and I could pick plenty of songs from it that, that stood out as favourites because we played it so much. But America was one of those tracks that has stayed with me um, throughout all of my life. I, I probably didn't know what half of the lyrics meant. Mrs. Wagner's Pies, the Border Greyhound, what's a Saginaw, the New Jersey, Jersey Turnpike. I, like these things were probably a bit unknown for a child. Um, I was, I guess, maybe seven or eight years old when I first listened to this stuff. But the storytelling in Paul Simon's songwriting has always kind of fascinated me ever since then, even when I didn't know what it all meant. So, you know, he paints these pictures with his words that I think have stayed with me, um, or they have stayed with me almost all of my life and America probably typifies that. When I was growing up in the 80s um, I remember there was this like sort of ongoing craze for portable cassette players for years and um, the Sony Walkman was probably like the pinnacle uh, the one that we couldn't afford or that I wasn't allowed but I got this um, version of it by Boots the chemist who I don't know if they're elsewhere in the world, they're in the UK anyway, um, but I got, I got this their own brand version of it for a Christmas gift. It was a bit like a Sony Walkman, but it was about twice the size. It was super cool nonetheless, everybody had one, and my dad picked a cassette tape to go with it. It was an Elton John compilation, I can't quite remember, but like the Simon and Garfunkel record, it was like a best of or a greatest hits of some sort. And in the 80s, I think if you had an Elton John compilation, then it was an amazing collection of songs because it took from his highlights um, throughout the 70s, it took the songs from there. And I think that's his greatest period. I don't know, arguably his finest work comes throughout the 70s. And Goodbye Yellow Brick Road probably defines that moment in time for me. When I hear it, I think about that big tape player and that clunk click sound when you would put the tape in and the big headphones that I had. Um, it just transports me back to my childhood instantly. This is Goodbye Yellowbrick Road. One of my school friends introduced me to a band called AHA, probably mid-80s, I think, um, around about the time that their first single, Take On Me, was released. It's kind of hard to imagine now just how huge AHA were during the 80s. That first single just seemed to launch them into every magazine and television show imaginable. And for me, they're one of the few massive pop groups throughout that period of time that I genuinely loved. I, I loved lots of different music, but there weren't too many bands that I just kind of really honed in on and listened to all of their, their work. Their first three albums remain among some of my favourite music out of that decade, released within a three-year period of this chart dominance that they seem to have. I couldn't have chosen Take On Me to put on this playlist, though. It's really great, but they have so many songs, I think, that are far better. And much like Paul Simon's lyrics, I, I'm not really sure if I understood what they were talking about a lot of the times, um, but um, it didn't really matter, did it? When something's great, it's great. And yeah, AHA were huge in the 80s, and some of their music still, when I put it on, I think, wow, it's just so good. Back to the Future is the biggest movie of the 80s, right? It's most definitely the biggest movie of my childhood. Like, of course, I love Star Wars and Indiana Jones and a whole host of other films from my childhood. But, you know, once we had a VHS player and with it, the ability to watch and then re-watch films over and over again, I would take a guess that Back to the Future 
was and is my most watched film of all time because of that. During the film and really close to the end when Marty wakes up to the sound of Back in Time by Huey Lewis in the news, I remember being like just captivated by well, what, what is it? You get like a little snippet of the song and then you hear it again at the end. Now you have to imagine for a second, in 1985 I was eight years old. There was no such thing as the internet for me to just quickly go and see what that song was or to stream it. And I can't remember for sure, but I reckon none of the local music shops would have stopped the soundtrack to the film. So, so it was literally years before I was able to hear that full song without playing the closing credits of the film. Everyone knew The Power of Love, it had been a massive single and a massive hit. But once I heard this song, I wasn't really interested in it because it had like lyrics that explained part of the movie. And I was really interested to find out what it was. So this is Back in Time by Huey Lewis and News from the movie Back to the Future. The first time I used my own money to buy music, I bought Graceland by Paul Simon. I was probably about nine or ten years old. I think my mum had previously bought me the seven-inch single of You Can Call Me Al. And I already knew who Paul Simon was from the Simon and Garfunkel record that we played relentlessly as kids. But Graceland remains one of my favourite albums by anyone ever. The sounds on that record remain as bold and as exciting 30 years on. Paul Simon made something that I think was timeless. I've talked about this before um, on my blog. Um, it was brave, it was timeless, um, and it was controversial as well. It's easy to forget that he split opinion and caused quite a stir by using South African artists in the 1980s during a backdrop of unrest and apartheid. I didn't know at the time that the song Graceland is Paul Simon reflecting on his marriage breakup from Carrie Fisher whilst road tripping to Graceland. I mean, the song gives that away, but I guess as a child I didn't think about that. I love this song. I think it's sad when you know what it's about, but it's also about freedom and movement physically and emotionally. So as I've got older, I think I've appreciated it more, much like a lot of his other music. I've never bored of it. This is Graceland by Paul Simon. When I was around 11 or 12 years old, we went on a family holiday to Jersey, the little island that's just off the coast of France. My portable cassette player was still working. Um, I'm not sure how I had it, but I had a compilation by the Beach Boys. I may have recorded it from a friend, I'm not sure. Anyway, all summer I listened to that Beach Boys um, tape over and over. On that holiday, I can't remember any other music other than the Beach Boys. And I think I annoyed probably and, and, and like really got on the nerves of the rest of my family for wanting to play it in the car that we hired and for wanting to constantly have it on. How could you pick a favourite song by the Beach Boys though? I, I'm not sure I even have a favourite, but when I hear the opening chords of God Only Knows, I'm just instantly transported back to that summer holiday, the rented car, the days on the beach, the apartment that we stayed in. I wasn't aware of the song there she goes by the Laz, like a lot of people, until the 1990 release. At the third attempt, the Laz had success with this song in 1990. And weirdly, this kind of felt like a new era for me. I can't remember much else from 1990 besides this song, the FA Cup final, and the World Cup in Italy, so lots of football. I became a teenager in 1990 as well, so I suppose in a way it was like a new era, but the simplicity and the repetition of this track is still amazing when I hear it now. Um, it just reminds me of that period of time. As far as pop songs go, I think it's pretty close to perfect. 
So by now you might be wondering what this list of songs is and why I'm talking about them in this way. Um, this month, um, as I'm recording this, October 2017, I turned 40 and um, I've created a playlist on Spotify that's kind of like a soundtrack of my life and also wanted to share it here and explain a little bit of why those songs are on that playlist. There's 21 songs, an hour and a half long. If you want to skip straight over to Spotify and listen to it rather than listen to me talk about the music, that's completely fine. Um, I'll also be blogging about it once I've uh, recorded the full uh, podcast and then saving this. I'll be saving this as a podcast as well. So yeah, this is October 40 and it's like a soundtrack of my life. And uh, yeah, I hope you're enjoying it so far. If There She Goes by The Lads was like a soundtrack that ushered in a new era of sorts, then Nirvana were like some kind of electric shock that I just wasn't really expecting. I hadn't heard of them at all. Um, I just wasn't tuned into what was going on in lots of different musical areas as such. I wasn't expecting them. And then a school friend said, oh, you have to hear this. And I remember we had a cassette tape, or he had a cassette tape of Nevermind, and I remember it being played and switched over to side two and played and switched back to side one and played again and so on and so forth and we repeated that for hours and hours and hours. I remember listening to it just lots and lots. And In Bloom is still the track that made me sort of sit up and say, wow, okay, Smells Like Teen Spirit was great and it, it made quite a fuss at the time and everybody loved it. But In Bloom was different. The second track, I had never heard guitars sound that way before, just grinding through the gears from verse to chorus. And it's just always the song that I think of when I hear someone say Nirvana or when I think about them. Okay, so does anyone really have a good explanation for what grunge music was? I knew who it was, but, you know, and it didn't really last for very long either. So after Nirvana, I heard Pearl Jam and their album Ten and, and other bands that were kind of around at that point. There were a handful of them that we listened to um, during a period of kind of two to three years and then grunge was gone. And that's about all I can say about the genre that magically appeared and then vanished almost overnight. But you know what? Eddie Vedder's voice still kind of makes me sit up and pay attention, even though it's changed a bit over the years and their kind of sound has changed a bit as well over the years. But, you know, I'm not sure they've ever been as good as they were on those first couple of albums. On 10 especially, I remember just being like a bit like Nevermind by Nirvana. We just played it over and over again and even flow. I think just stands out as one of those tracks that is instantly up-tempo and exciting. We saw them live in Belfast a few years ago, and when they played this song, the crowd just came alive. So this is Evenflow by Pearl Jam. One of my school friends had MTV long before any of the rest of us. At one stage, I think they played Give It Away and Under The Bridge at least once every hour, just all the time. I'd already heard the Red Hot Chili Peppers do a cover of Higher Ground by Stevie Wonder, but I wasn't really that familiar with the rest of their music. But those endless replays of those videos for Give It Away and Higher Ground introduced me to them, and by the time their album Blood Sugar Sex Magic was in front of me, um, we just were sucked into it. I remember, again, my school friend group just listening to that record lots and lots. It remains one of my favourite records of all time. It's the first time I'd heard music with relatively frequent explicit language. It had the sticker on the front. I think it was the first album I owned with a parental advisory label on the cover. And you know, when you're a teenager, that kind of stuff feels risky. And for me, 
Apache Rose Peacock epitomizes their kind of smutty but good time swagger that um, I just loved and still love. Alright, so if the Red Hot Chili Peppers were a little bit risky for a teenager and maybe a little bit rude as well, then hearing NWA first and then Ice Cube was just like downright aggressive with this massive attitude. I'm really not sure how my friend group progressed from grunge to rock and then to this, or how we end up with an NWA or an Ice Cube. Um, well, it was still cassette tapes, actually. It wasn't CDs at that point. I'm not sure how it came into the conversation. But, you know, despite the prolific aggression and the explicit nature of the lyrics, a lot of his music has really stayed with me over, um, over my life. Sometimes I go back and listen to some of that stuff from them, especially the album The Predator by Ice Cube. And I think, wow, let's just like remember the moments when we listened to that. And here in Northern Ireland, we probably couldn't really relate to what Ice Cube was talking about in his songs. Or maybe we could. I'm not sure. I was 15 when this came out, but it's still one of my favourite albums. Um, and yeah, When Will They Shoot from that album like, is kind of like a big stomping introduction to the rest of the record. And uh, I'm sorry if you're offended by the lyrics. Like any teenager, or like a lot of teenagers, I wanted to be able to play guitar. And eventually I would teach myself to play guitar, but when I was um, a bit younger, one of those things that would be debated over and over again, and then when you learn guitar, it gets debated again, is, you know, who, who's the greatest ever guitar player? And it's often a pointless discussion. Jimi Hendrix probably always gets a mention. And as the years pass, I think less and less young guitar players seem to appreciate the impact that Jimi Hendrix had on guitars and on guitarists. So plenty of people can replicate his sound and his vibe, but do you know he was an original? And okay, I wasn't around in the 60s to, to, to witness it firsthand, but like I went excitedly looking for his music. I was keen to hear what all the fuss was about, and I didn't question it because just for whatever reason I seemed to grasp how original he had been during the 60s. And I, I still think when I listen to Jimi Hendrix that he kind of sounds like he's from another planet. There was a period around the mid to kind of late 90s when I listened to music from the 1960s almost exclusively. I kind of got sucked into what felt like a bit of a musical education. I wanted to hear all of the music that had influenced so many modern artists. And in 1995, when the Beatles anthology series came on the television, I entered into a bit of an obsession with the Fab Four. It seems silly even calling them the Fab Four. <laughs> But I only knew some of their music um, you know, previous to that. But within a really short space of time, I'd bought all of the Beatles albums and I'd read numerous books and I began to teach myself to play the songs on guitar. And I just was immersed in the story when I was watching those documentaries on TV. And, and then the subsequent albums of outtakes and alternative versions of their songs all came out and I bought them on cassette and then I upgraded to CD later and then I bought the vinyls. and. It's hard for me to pick a Beatles song that I would say is a favourite song. People often cite Revolver or Sgt Pepper as their best work. But I think if we go back a little bit um, before that, there are signs on the album Help of how their sound had been evolving. Ticket to Ride epitomises that for me, I think. I, I love the heavier kind of bass and drum sound on the record, but also that kind of languid guitar. And this is one of my favourite tracks. Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. I loved Oasis. It's kind of hard to fully explain how much I loved Oasis. 
I never quite got all of the Beatles comparisons, but I loved them anyway. That that's kind of irrelevant to it. And their third album was like so hotly anticipated. Um, Be here now. The hype was ridiculous in the press in the lead up to it. And the single, do you know what I mean? Didn't disappoint, but it was the extra tracks on that single which got me most excited at the time. Ironically, the album ended up being a little bit of a disappointment long term. I think it was listened to and listened to and listened to, and on first listen, I thought, "This is great." Um, but after I listened to it a few times, maybe the the nice taste wore off or something. But you know, Oasis had some amazing B sides on their earlier singles as well, and on this, the the B side of "Do You Know What I Mean," the song "Stay Young" still sounds great. I still love it. It's definitely not their best song. But you know, I think it captures the swagger brilliantly. At a point when they seem to be invincible, as the song says, I've included this track from Oasis rather than others because of the reference to youth and staying young, and the fact that this playlist is um, and this podcast is also a reference to me turning forty. And even now, when I listen, just for a moment, when I hear those words, I kind of feel invincible too. Like a lot of people, the first time I heard the song Most of the Time by Bob Dylan was in the film High Fidelity. Like many people, I went looking then to see what that song was. And I knew some of Bob Dylan's music, but I'd kind of, I'd missed Oh Mercy, the album that it's on. And I'd missed this track. And now, after all these years, I, I go to this song often. Its reflective lyrics are full of regret, but for me, they're really warm and poignant. There's just something about it that's really beautiful. Dylan had released quite a few dud records up until that point, in the 80s especially, and Oh Mercy was kind of like a welcome return to form where everyone said, oh, he's back, you know. And I think it's one of his finest albums. This this track regularly gets mentioned by people as one of the sort of high points of that period for Bob Dylan. Um, and it's one of my favourite songs. It's so warm and, yeah, I just love it. This is Most of the Time by Bob Dylan. When I was dating my now wife, the first music that I bought for her was an album called This Is It by The Strokes. And man, we listened to that album in the car over and over for weeks, maybe even months. Their songs kind of transport me right back to those early times of when we were getting to know each other and we were driving to the city or we were driving to the beach or we were sitting in the car eating McDonald's or ice cream or just talking about life. I'm not sure that The Strokes have ever been as good as their first album, although I do kind of like a good debut album and then I find it hard to to kind of connect with bands after that, depending on who they are. And maybe it just holds so many, many memories for me, but um, there's so many great tracks on This Is It by The Strokes. It's really, if you haven't listened to it, it's worth a listen. Uh, this is barely legal. Okay, so if there's one musical artist who I wish I could play like or I wish I could be like, I think it would be Jack o. Pastorius. When I first heard his music, I thought my head might explode. Um, and I heard him first on Shadows and Light by Joni Mitchell. I just had to find out more about who he was. His playing on some of her 70s work just transformed her sound. His contribution to Weather Report, um, their work in the 70s, is also phenomenal. The fact that he could effortlessly leap in and out of pop music and jazz music and classical music, and it, he could, it would seem, just do anything musically. His first solo album is my favourite thing by him. It's an eclectic work of art. And I, it's not for everyone. I get that. But there are very few artists who amaze me every time I go back and listen to them. Jacko is one of the ones who does amaze me every time I go back and listen to his music. Almost every time I put on something by him, I'm just in awe of his ability. 
Time After Time by Cindy Lauper was played at our wedding. I knew the song when I was younger, but when Cherith said that she'd like it to be played at our wedding and on, on our wedding day, I had to go and listen to it again and try to understand why. I was a bit like, oh, okay, um, let me just go and check that out. I mean, how else can I describe it now? When I, when I hear it, I think about our wedding, um, and we aren't overly soppy people. Our wedding was late in the day, and it was a short evening event compared to most weddings we've attended. So, you know, it wasn't like an overly emotional affair. But you know what? This song just reminds me that we had our wedding the way we wanted, and we didn't play to the crowd or necessarily do the things that are expected of people whenever they get married. Um, and so it, it stayed with me ever since. I knew it was the song and I liked the song before that, but because of that, because of the fact that it was played on the piano by one of our friends, it's just stayed with me ever since. Okay, so before I play the last few songs on this playlist, if you've been listening and wondering what's going on, um, during October um, 2017, I, I turned 40, and this is a list of songs that are kind of like a soundtrack of my life. Um, so we're turning that into a podcast to explain why those songs are on the list. And then there's a playlist which is on Spotify, and which I'll blog about and mention again. And it's called October 40, a soundtrack to my life. And yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> The National released their album Boxer just a month or two after we got married. I wasn't sure at first when I heard them, but every time I was in the car, Cherith seemed to be playing this record. And it's since gone on to be one of, my, one of our favourite albums. It reminds me of just those first few months of, of being married and the early stages of sorting out our new house and settling in and all, all the things that you do then the first time you go to the supermarket and buy loads of food for the fridge, all those kinds of things. And soon after that, I found myself listening to it quite a lot when I was travelling up and down on the train to Belfast with work. I was really unsettled in, in my job and, and, and it just seemed to be one of those albums that just fit it in with my mood at the time. Perhaps because it was slightly gloomy, I'm not sure. It brings me so much joy now though when I listen to uh, Boxer by The National and, and everything they've done since then has been uh, great too. We love their music. Uh, but this is Slow Show by The National. I have to say that in the last maybe 10 years or so there haven't been that many artists or that many bands, certainly not that many records that have completely blown me away and made me think, wow. When I like something I tend to get a little bit obsessed with it and listen to it over and over again. And last year I rediscovered Sleaford Mods. I'd heard them a year or two before but like I just wasn't completely convinced that I knew what was happening or what they were about. Then I saw them on TV again at a point when I was just a little bit fed up with music. And because I work from home, I, I listen to music all day. And as a result, I'll constantly be looking for new music to listen to. I'd got to a point where pop and rock and rap and metal and all the things that I would dip in and out of had just become a little bit boring. Sleaford Bonds were a bit like a punch in the nose. They were raw and unfiltered and funny and yet serious at the same time. And you know, right now, as our world seems to have hit some kind of self-destruct button, both politically and culturally, and as society seems to be just all over the place. Sleaford Mods have been a perfect soundtrack for me. I've really loved what they're about. This is TCR by Sleaford Mods. So the last song that I'm going to play is Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. This might be my favourite song by anyone ever, and I've left it to the end for that reason. When I worked in retail in my late teens and early 20s, there was this older guy who worked for a company that we bought from, and, and he told me that I needed to listen to Let It Bleed by the Stones. 
He'd been in bands during the 60s and, and um, recommended music to me. And we used to talk about music all the time, but he recommended Led Zeppelin and Rory Gallagher and Van Morrison, all these really great artists. Um, albums by some of them that I just didn't know and that I'd missed. And albums that would go on to be some of my favorites. And when he said, listen to Let It Bleed, he said to me, now, right from the start, listen to the drums. And I think on that record, Gimme Shelter kind of sets the tone because of Charlie's drums and also the guitar and the harmonica. And do you know what? Mary Clayton's stunning backing vocals on that track are just one of the best things ever in music. Everything about the song kind of amazes me. It reminds me of those days when I was working in retail, but it also reminds me of Scorsese films and it reminds me of the 60s, even though I didn't live through that decade. But I love lots of music from the 60s and this is kind of a high point, I think. Let It Bleed was released right at the end of 1969 and I know it's a bit of a cliche but this track just sounds timeless. I think it may be the best thing that the Rolling Stones have ever done. I think. So thanks for listening. This has been my October 40 playlist. Um, if you want to uh, get a link to Spotify, you can go over to my blog, which is supersymbol.com forward slash blog. Um, if you already follow me on Spotify, you'll see it there in my playlist. It's called October 40, and this has been a list of songs that really have been like a soundtrack of my life. So thanks for listening. And um, yeah, maybe we'll do some more of this in the future. <laughs>